0: hello there this is fiona host and main gm for what am i rolling a twice monthly rpg one shot podcast this is a bonus q a episode to tide us over to the next one shot and it is indeed a very special q a as this week I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing game designers Chris McDowell and Johan Noor about the upcoming remastered release of Into the Odd, a rules-light, flavour-heavy role-playing game of industrial horror and cosmic strangeness. Bastion is the only city that matters. In its industrial age, it sits as the smoke-shrouded hub of mankind, surrounded by a world of lurking horrors and cosmic interference. In Into the Odd, players take on the role of explorers, braving places too far for maps and too old for records. Their expeditions touch on the bizarre, the wondrous, and the horrific. Explorers search for riches, but also arcana, mysterious devices with unnatural powers. This remastered version revisits industrial bastion land, giving the original Into the Odd a lavish hardback, full color restoration, and expanded content. Written by Chris, with new graphic design by Johan, Into the Odd Remastered Edition is out in mid-August, and is currently available for pre-order on the Free League website. Listeners of the podcast will know that I am a massive fan of Free League, and I really love talking to Chris and Johan about Into the Odd Remastered. There is so much in the book in terms of inspiration for GMs, and if you want to try a rules-light RPG for the first time, I think Into the Odd is the perfect one to begin with. I'll put links to that and to Chris and Johan's other projects on the What Am I Rolling website and in this episode's show notes. Brilliant. So, uh, thank you so much, both of you, for joining me for this interview. Um, Let's just start with something really, really easy. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Who are you and what do you do? And either one of you can go first, (laughs) because I know there's two of you. Okay, um, I'll go first. There's lots of pointing in the Zoom
1: call. We've got a complex (laughs) system of hand gestures. Uh, Yeah, so my name is uh, Chris McDowell. I design games such as Into the Odd and uh, Electric Bastionland and have recently uh, done a remaster of Into the Odd.
2: And I'm Johan Noor and I'm part of something called Stockholm Cartel and I'm also doing games I guess I'm mostly known for making the graphic design and art from Boy. Uh We were also working on Cyborg, and I worked with Chris on Into the Odd, the remastered verse, version of it uh, as a graphic designer and artist.
0: So how did you both get into uh, RPGs? What sort of got you into it? We'll go with Chris, because I know you've been on before, Johan, so we got your answer anyway, but in yeah, case it's changed right, from yeah. last time, it'll be interesting to know. But uh, Chris, <laughs> so what, what got you into uh, playing
1: or even running RPGs? My start with RPGs kind of started as... As I kind of, um, I think about 10 years old, I was sort of, the classic story of a kid in the year above me at school brought in a load of Warhammer figures for like show and tell and like issues of White Dwarf. And it was like nothing I'd ever seen before uh, in the, the pre-internet days. Um, so I was immediately drawn into all that uh, strangeness. And at a, it, it, this would have been maybe like three years after that, um, it was at a convention, um, that the, the big Games Day convention they used to do for for Warhammer stuff. At that one, I, there was a table selling um, the Warhammer RPG. And I thought, well, I've never seen this in White Dwarf. I've never seen this in a Games Workshop shop. So I kind of thought it was something that someone had like illegally put together <laughs> and was like selling out of the back of a car. Amazing. But they, they had a they had a real stand there and everything. So I, so I thought, well, okay, this must be must be legit. And I, I didn't fully understand it, but I picked up that book and my brain kind of exploded with the the possibility of what was in there. I was kind of, I was loosely aware of D&D as a thing that I had heard about, but I always had sort of, it, it's not something that any of my friends had played or I didn't really have a shop near me that would have sold anything like that. So I I sort of knew it as this American thing, D&D. So, so yeah, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, I would love to say that was the game that really got me in, but that was the game that certainly put the idea in my head. Mm-hmm. And then from that, I kind of, it was like the... It was like the white whale for a while, in that I, I never quite managed to like get a game of it to work. Mm. Um, I tried playing it with friends, um, but we just kept sort of going back to miniature stuff and um and Warhammer stuff. And then from there I kind of fell into sort of third edition of D And then I eventually reached a point where I realized that rules like games were more likely to be the ones for me. And um, and I sort of discovered all of the sort of stuff that was going on with like indie games and OSR and things like that. And that that felt like i sort of found finally found the RPG that I wanted when I was like 12 years old many years later and you've never stopped since as a result <laughs> oh, that's it yeah <laughs> yeah
0: so would you say then that's your favorite kind of games then to run uh are the rules light stuff or is there a particular genre that you
1: are uh, really like you really like oh yeah I really love this when you come across it well the thing is I I still I still have behind me I have that Warhammer fantasy roleplay book and I will never get rid of that uh not just for like <laughs> sentimental value but because I I love a book that sort of Get you excited to run that game and that sounds really obvious but um there's there's some books where i mean i mean i have i know we're not doing this on camera now but i i have a rifts book here that i've um, nice. picked up secondhand, and i would never recommend rifts as a game for anyone to play <laughs> when i when i look through a rifts book i i i'm sort of hit with it feels like it feels like somebody's imagination just exploded onto the page mm-hmm. that, that's a horrible imagery but um <laughs> but that, that's what it feels like and they're the kind of games that get me excited but the problem is they often come with similarly messy explosions of rules. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing I've always been looking for is something that combines that kind of, This sounds like I'm leading up to an advert, but it's hell that I wanted something that combined that rich flavor with sort of mechanics that kind of got out of the way and were a bit more straightforward and simple.
0: No, I like that. So then going on from that then, so like, how did you get into writing your RPGs? Because obviously you said you've done uh, Into the Odd was sort of your first sort of one that came out and then Electric Bastionland and then obviously now the remaster with Free League.
1: I think as soon as I discovered that you could just download free RPGs that people had made online, I sort of thought, well, obviously I can do this. Like, it was the kind of idiot confidence um, in action. And I think for about as long as I've been aware that there are free RPGs online, I thought, I think I've been trying to make my own. And they started off as very... I look back on them now um, with a certain fondness, but I wouldn't perhaps revisit them um, to play. Right. Um, (laughs) But but I've always been... What I've always been drawn to, and what I've always been drawn to the idea of is the idea of refining something. So taking like mm-hmm. for a long time I was kind of stuck in d third edition, uh, for better or worse. And um, I was I was kind of obsessed with the idea of like fine-tuning that and seeing if you could make a stripped down version of that, which lots of people did with things like um microlight 20
0: mm-hmm.
1: um was a big inspiration for for what I've been doing. It's it's based off a, a different version of D&D, but things like searches of the unknown. Um so I've always tried to make these very stripped down rules, like rules, and seeing how far you can go with that. as That's always been kind of a bit of a passion of mine.
0: And I know as well with you, uh, Johan, with like Murtborg and, and Cyborg and stuff like that, it's very similar, right? Like rules, like, let's go. <laughs> we don't have time to waste around, right?
2: No, exactly. And I think like the, the fewer rules or the simpler rules you have, the more you open up to your own rulings and your own like uh, imagination at the table, because that was my problem when I first tried like Dungeons and dragons like role playing games because I was interested in what, what that was about there was a pathfinder that I ran mm-hmm. and it is quite crunchy it's very crunchy and I just realized after a while when we played a campaign that I had no there was no space for me as a GM to invent my own things in this I was just like following along thing mm. and so when i got into the osr and more rules light stuff then i felt more free to like just come up with whatever either right before we play or at the, you know see at the tables so i think that's that's what i like so much about it and yeah so it's quick and easy
0: yeah, there is that something about that sort of prescriptive, like everything's defined. And it's interesting now when we're looking at say, like, obviously, as we've said before, that's fifth edition is obviously everywhere, mm-hmm. everyone knows this player. But as soon as you introduce another system, and people go, Oh no, I'm not so sure about it. And you're like, But there's less rules. You could do yeah. so much more. It's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I think- but I think
2: I think because you're like you're used to games being like quite a big step to to get into, and like mm-hmm. there's a threshold for you to learn, but uh, yeah, you just have to explain that it's very 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 simple like and the rules are very like they're not important anyway
1: at least i believe so oh don't say that because then they won't buy your book (laughs) (laughs) no i think one of the things as well that um i've i've written about this before is the idea that if you're running a game at some point you are going to need to make some kind of judgment call and I, I've written a thing about this call, something like the, the referee is a game designer. Um, so mm-hmm. if you're going to run a game, you are going to have to be at some level, you're going to have to be a game designer at some point, which sounds terrifying. But if you if you start doing that early mm-hmm. and you've got fewer rules to worry about while you're doing that, I believe people can become better kind of GMs as they go, rather than having a system that does 99 percent of the answers for you Mm. and then when you hit that one percent you know five sessions into a campaign you think oh i've really got to come up with the right answer because the the rest of the system might fall apart if i um if i don't (laughs) adjust this one thing perfectly
2: everything is so balanced and what if my you know, contribution.
0: Yeah, it unbalances yeah. it. And yeah. I, like, I like that what you were saying before about the idea that it doesn't give you room as a, as a GM, these sort of other systems and yet OSR rules like do. So I think so many people when they start to do it and, and I'm now drawing from my own real life as well, like at work and you have meetings and stuff and everyone's like, who's going to make a decision? And, and you're like, oh, let's just do it. Let's yeah. just go for it and make it. And and it's only recently I, certainly as a person who works in academia, let's put it that way, um and and doing uh, GMing as to find gone So what the, you know, the rules don't matter. Let's just do something because then we can move the story along. And then we get away from this block. And I think there's, it's that worry sometimes certainly with GMs about making the mistake and then ruin ruining in quotation marks, everything. And you're like, no, we've moved on. (laughs) We've got from, got from this point, a we've not got to point B, but we're taking a side route and it's great because now we, we can, we've, there's another problem we can, we can work on together. So I just, I think it's so true that using rules. It can only get you so far. And then as a person, being able to improvise and to make those judgments, to, uh, to decision-making in general is so important. And yeah, I think people cling to like, but the rules say this. And you're like, yeah. no, it's not the rules.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's the, I mean, the, it, it's not the, the unique thing of, RPG, of tabletop RPGs. The unique thing is that you have a GM. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know there are war games and stuff that have referees, but like, for the most part, t- tabletop role playing games have a kind of, um, that's their like, that's their defining factor is that usually there is somebody running the game that can make these calls. So I think the more you, the more you lean into that, the better experience you're going to have in, in mm-hmm. my experience.
0: So uh, let's talk about then uh, Into the Odd then. So for those people who don't know, who have been living under a rock, uh, haven't looked at any gaming magazines or any reviews whatever, what is Into
1: the Odd and how does it differ from other RPGs that are out there? So Into the Odd is a, the phrase that I've used is rules light, flavor heavy. Um, So like I mentioned before, I I always wanted to have a game that has that kind of rich flavor of something like Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay or even something like Rifts where you're looking through it and you're getting excited about the world, and you're seeing all these exciting things, but also had the rules on the very much on the far minimalist end of the spectrum. So something like MicroLite 20, or even things like Rissus, and the kind of thing that you might get for free, just in like a two-page document, because I hadn't really seen a game that had combined those two things, the sort of the very stripped-back rules, while still having all of this flavor. It's essentially a game about exploration and problem-solving, Um, You are um, explorers in a kind of weird 19th century industrial kind of world and you're going to be going to try and find strange arcane devices and um, treasure and um, and generally just going where you shouldn't and, and trying not to die.
0: Going away shouldn't try not to die. That's like that's like a, a type like <laughs> for most RPGs, but I love it. I love yeah. it. With that then, like where did you get the inspiration for creating this world? Like what did you what sources did you draw from? Or did you did you always have it in sort of the back of your mind whilst you were sort of creating scenarios for RPGs in general?
1: When I started designing the game, it was much closer to sort of classic D D really, in the sense that uh, it started out as a way to kind of run, run the kind of dungeon crawls you might play in like basic D&D or something like that, or like old school essentials, I guess. But then as, as I started to get a feel for the things that I really wanted to be in there, um, so I really wanted it to have a kind of a, not a classic kind of fantasy flavor, more of like a, the, I wanted the monsters to feel more like something out of a sci-fi or a horror film mm. rather than dragons and and orcs. And the world kind of grew organically out of that because as I, as I started to focus more on horror, I sort of started to shift more to like a modern era setting because I I feel like things are scarier if you've got a more normal point of reference for what's normal. Mm -hmm. And if we imagine that this is kind of an industrial world, so let's say it's 1850 or whatever, like. The world then would be very different to ours, but it would have a lot of relatable things like people have to go to rubbish jobs and people have to pay for their house and people have families and and they go on the train. There's a few points of reference that you have. Whereas if you go into a medieval setting, I feel like the world is already kind of terrifying. Um, so I wanted to move it to something a little bit more. I wanted to have that kind of, That element of mundanity Mm. to make the horror and the weird things seem more horrific and more weird, because that's the other thing that it has got kind of a bit of a sort of dark humor tone running through it and 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 weirdness rather than fantasy, I think Mm. is um, is part of it. So, yeah, the, the world kind of grew organically out of what I needed to make my games happen, if that makes sense
0: yeah no that makes sense this idea of like the extraordinary from the ordinary which is something yeah. like yeah, it's such a it's actually such a key thing certainly like um if i take my experience from improv that it's actually the most engaging scenes are like you know you are like talking uh about a relationship but it's the end of the world uh and you're like yeah, you're focusing yeah. on that ordinary thing about you know going to work using the train etc but it's uh it's on a void train or something like that and you don't make a big scene of that the not the weird factor but the the uniqueness the extraordinary factor of it so i see you on that yeah Uh, so johan then so obviously you've taken this uh of the original sort of thing and then obviously did artwork then for the remastered stuff so how did you go go around sort of pulling inspiration for that then and creating the new artwork
2: when we started working on this we had some good talks and we we had like a a vision or you chris came into this with uh, a vision of what you wanted to do a little bit artistically as well so we had some We had like a mood board and everything and we we wanted to capture that feel of you being like explorers trying to make sense of this weird weird world uh, where you when you leave your like normalcy and you go into this strangeness like that sort of i think maybe i see the adventurers being like they're trying to map this and they're trying to understand it but it's so strange so it's difficult to do that uh so a lot of the artworks are like as it would appear in like journals or scrapbooks or notes from an in-game character with like little graphs and, and notes and uh, like something that you find on maybe the the body of a deceased explorer or something mm. deep down in a dungeon i looked through a lot of like public domain libraries a lot of museum galleries that they have that you can use and i made this cut and paste like college art out yeah. of it. So and it was a style that I hadn't really seen that much in in games. Mm. Uh, I mean, I've seen the use of public domain arts a lot, but not like made this way. Mm. and And yeah, so that was the artwork, and then I paired that with a pretty like not well traditional in a way graphic design and 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 layout that is very like readable and very usable, mm. but it has it has a nice contrast between the two, like the elegant design and this kind of weird art. so.
0: No, I definitely see that. Yeah, the copy and paste sort of feel of it, you definitely see that with that adventure right at the end, which I know has been expanded from the original version. And that, what I loved about that, it was like, oh, that's really cool. And now I, now all I want to do when I'm running any games, any dungeon is to create post-it notes to put down (laughs) as a physical thing, because like so much of the time you, it's already revealed, like, oh, we're going to go down there. But if you had post-it notes for it, I was like, oh, and so that, that for me was like a real like light switch moment. I was like, I wanna do that. It's a waste of post-it notes at the end of the night, but it will look really good. No, cool. It's a lot of fun. Oh, Plus, yeah. I
2: mean you can just you can just put them out there and make the dungeon map. You can draw on top of the post-its, and you know, you don't feel bad if you rip one out and you make another one
0: to change. That, yeah, that that the that room's now or, gone forever. because you didn't Yeah, see or it changed it, yeah.
2: as much. you can have like here's a big monster, and okay, now it's gone, and you know, so that's a good idea.
0: So yeah, so obviously the original came out uh, 2014, which feels like a lifetime ago. So I appreciate that yeah. <laughs> I've been <instantly> aged <laughs> ages all. all. Um, so what can we expect in the remastered one? Because I know it obviously has been out for a little while with the Kickstarter, et cetera, but it's obviously coming out to Free lead that you can buy uh, pretty, pretty soon. So what, what's, uh, what can we expect differently from the original?
1: So what I wanted to do was, um, so after I did Into the Art, I did... Electro Bastionland, which was kind of, it sounds silly to say my, my version, but I kind of think of this setting as something that people would make their own. Um, But it was like, this is my version of my setting. So this is like my follow up to the book, which uses the same rules, but it has a different kind of approach, and a slightly different take on the kind of the tone. But then there were people that still were really kind of clamoring for more stuff to do with Into the Odd and wanting more of like almost like a straight second edition. Mm. And I I didn't really want to do a new edition because I think if I was going to do that, as I did with Electric Bastion, that I'd want to make it almost an entirely different kind of type of book. Right, um, I, I'd rather make something new or make a, sort of a perfect, perfect version. This sounds, sounds very grand. A perfect ver- Try and make a perfect version of the thing that already exists. Because when I did the original, it was kind of the first thing I'd done mm-hmm. and uh, we had slightly more limited resources and I I've learned a lot of stuff since then. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to try and make a, a really good version of that thing rather than try and change too much of it. So what I decided to do was tidy up some of the the things that just needed tidying up rather than trying to fix any like mechanics or things like that and then to expand it so it, it's got more content so like you said about the dungeon that's in there used to be a one floor dungeon it's now three um the wilderness area has got a lot of extra stuff in there it's got a few little mini dungeons scattered around it and there's more random tables in the the addendum at the back mm-hmm. and more weird so arcana are the sort of the weird not quite magical not quite sci-fi devices that you have in the game there's more of them and um just more more stuff really and um, a lot more (laughs) yeah and just give give like the definitive version of that original idea rather than creating like a branching version of it if you see what i mean
0: yeah no absolutely and i totally agree because like electric bastion i've I've also read and I, i enjoyed how you know like you said it is it does feel like your own version it's like this is how i would use it but yeah, yeah. getting that into the other say, oh they want more of that cool and I, I love that idea that sort of almost philosophy that yeah anyone can take this and make it their own because it, it is rules light it allows gms to improvise and put in their own things Ah, the yeah. full circle <laughs> <laughs> for both of you then what was your favorite part or most challenging part when you were creating into the odd uh, this remastered edition like in terms of artwork or in terms of writing
2: i think for for artwork it was trying to decide which pieces of public domain art to not use because Ooh, there's so many okay. yeah because yeah. i i mean i, I spent days and days and days just downloading a <laughs> lot of uh, like these high res uh, like renaissance or 18th century 19th century artworks and to just pick from those to hmm. use uh, that was it was a lot of fun but it was also it was also a big challenge because you want them to like <laughs> fit together yes. and you want them to make a new piece that works and that says something and you know but uh yeah I think it came out well in the end and I now have a big library of domain public- images <laughs> 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 I can
0: use for other stuff Wait, you can live off that for your other work yeah, uh, as exactly. a resource. I'm sure I've got something in here
1: yeah and, and yeah. what about yourself Chris um, I think, like I've said, the, the main thing that I had to keep kind of reminding myself was to avoid the temptation to to change things. There's always that one thing you want to change. And I, I did allow myself, a, There's a, like there are like two extra rules, I think, in there that are like literally like tiny things to do with, I forget what else. Yeah, there's one to do with like, there's like two conditions. So you, there, there's like a, a little bit to do with like um, certain items being bulky. And there's a little bit to do with yes. um, if you're deprived of like a certain need then you can't sort of rest but like it's very telling that those two rules in any other system would be like tiny things but i had to sort of i had to fight to convince myself that they were worthy (laughs) additions they both had to really fight for their place (laughs) at the table um but also with the um with the extra material that i wrote for the for the adventure at the back It was so long ago that I wrote that original dungeon Mm because that was the dungeon that I used for like all of the playtesting and everything building up to it. So it's um, it's been through the ringer, but it was so long since I wrote it that I had to sort of go back and sort of relearn it so that I could make everything else tie into it. and it, Mm. And so that it didn't just feel like, oh, here's two new floors of stuff that are just like bolted on
0: yeah're balls are um, not necessarily connected and some thematic yeah, way. I, I yeah I
1: wanted it to feel like I wanted it to feel like an escalation going downwards, but also I mm. wanted it to feel like a natural extension so that if people had played that adventure before
2: mm-hmm. and they
1: went back and discovered the next floor, it would kind of they would be like fifty percent surprised, but fifty percent yes, this makes sense yeah. when they when they <laughs> find what's down there.
0: I like that. I think that's that's my state of knowledge anyway. It's like oh, I'm 50% <laughs> surprised. Oh, but I also like this as well. So that's yeah, always yeah. good. No, I like that. So what would be your main advice and uh, for running into the odd then? If you're a brand new GM, you've picked up into the odd remastered, like what would you would you give as a tip for running and introducing such a cool both system, even though I know it's a couple of years old, but but also like a cool world and stuff like that to
1: your players. I think it's easy to look at rules like games and if you'd asked me some years ago, I might have said, oh yeah, rules like games, it, it makes it easier for the GM to run. And I, I still believe it does make a lot of things easier, but it does make certain things more difficult sometimes. Yeah. Like sometimes not having the rules creates a kind of gap that you need to fill, which is which is a good thing when you know how to do that. But sometimes it can be a bit daunting for certain types of GM. And, um, and I've, I've really come to appreciate that in the last few years. And I think mm-hmm. the thing I would say is all that space in your head that you're not spending focusing on the rules make sure that you're you're not almost spending that energy looking for the rules and you're spending that extra energy that you have looking for ways to describe things in a cool evocative way, mm-hmm. uh, make sure the players have got like interesting choices, uh, describing the impact of their actions and really kind of embrace that procedure of in the book, I call it like information choice impact, which is like that for me, the whole game could essentially be boiled down to the, as the GM, you tell the players something, you give them information so that they can make a choice. And then when they make that choice, you show the impact of that decision. And it sounds really obvious, but that's something that really helped me kind of understand this, because all of a sudden it was like, well, if I really focus on getting these three things really, really good, and I get good at doing these three things, Mm. then you'll realize that, yeah, maybe, maybe you don't actually need all of all of those rules Mm. Um, for me getting in the way.
2: I would probably like
1: expand a bit on that because I agree. And I
2: think the impact that you describe as a gm that yeah. should also lead to more like tr- problems or like uh, yes. f- puzzles you know to, mm-hmm. to do so like whenever the players do something something else happens and like they have to deal with that now so it's not cuz i feel like sometimes when i play like i especially earlier when when we played there was a lot of like i describe something as a gm the players answer and then i just tell them what happens and then nothing else happens and yeah. like okay so what now mm-hmm. but i think like if you, you want to keep it fluid and like dynamic and moving always like progressing you have to always give them new obstacles as -hmm. a result of what they did so yeah it's always driving
0: that story forward isn't it yeah Yeah,
2: and like uh, like they're never i mean they will succeed and they will reach like success that means the exact same thing but uh, they will also always have something to do
0: you know Actually, I, I have a, a similar question for you, uh, Johan. Because, like, obviously, you've done so much in terms of uh, designing for other games and stuff like that. Like, obviously, you know that you you're an amazing game designer and illustrator as well. Like, what would you say to somebody who wanted to really get into illustrating stuff, apart from obviously downloading all Creative Commons stuff? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, like, like what what would be your big tip for like creating stuff for for a game or or in just in general to increase their skills or something that they really want to do?
2: Okay so when I and I do this a lot when I face like um a creative block when I feel like I don't I can't do anything I just take like 15 minutes to draw whatever like mm. I just force myself to just draw something I don't care if it's good or bad and then I try to post it as well like regardless of how I feel about it just to get that sort of weight off my shoulders and just mm. you know don't worry too much about that uh, and that has helped me sometimes to get rid of uh, that block but I think also like look for inspiration anywhere but role playing games. <laughs> <laughs> like you can buy a lot of role playing books and read them, but it's good to also look at the, uh, like movies or music or posters or what whatever. Like. Mm-hmm because otherwise it's easy to just make the same thing again and again over and over, over. Yeah. yeah
0: no that i completely think that's fair well brilliant we're coming to sort of the end of the interview now so thank you guys so much um i just wanted to ask both of you if you've got any other plans for future any other projects in the work i appreciate into the odd you know you've done that now and you're like ah oh, time to rest and you're like no more projects and so i appreciate that so It was always like a, like I've just finished this masterpiece and now you're asking me what I've got next. Um, but I know obviously you might have a couple of things in in the thing. So it'd be interesting to know if you, if you folks have got any other projects or if you just plan to just like chill out and just like, you know what? I just want to play my game for a bit. (laughs) Leave me alone.
1: Well, weirdly it's, um, I did treat myself to a little bit of a break after, um, after finishing sort of my end of, um, into the odd, but, um, but sort of my bit's been done for quite a while. So I'll kind of, um, I kind of had my uh rest period if you like now and uh, obviously we're dealing with i'm dealing with um some, well i'm not dealing with the distribution myself but what League is dealing with the distribution right now so it's still all ongoing but um yeah. but I, I i've got a lot of i'm very good at starting projects i'm fantastic at starting projects um <laughs> less so at finishing them Pretty but sure. um, yeah. i'm currently um i'm currently playing around with sort of a new Sort of a follow up to Electric Bastionland, if you like her, uh, which we're tentatively calling Primeval Bastion Land, which is this kind of hex crawling Ooh. thing. It's in the very early stages. I released like a playtest thing this week, um, wow. and I don't know if it's going to be a thing that goes anywhere. But that's that's what I'm currently messing with. If not, it can go on the pile with the other uh, ten.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <projects>. You'll finish <laughs> them later one day. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. That's fair. What about yourself, Aaron? uh No, I'm, I'm keeping busy. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: I yeah, you no, make- you're, you're always.
2: Got stuff on yeah i was I, yeah but uh there are different stages of completion so uh yeah we just we just finished like cyborg is also like in the same stage of distribution i think i mean slightly uh after uh into the odd but that's reaching backers now and then i'm working on a couple of other projects rel- more or less related to Body which has sort of taken over my life since the last few years <laughs> but, uh, yeah but, no yeah.
0: that's bad so it's yeah. more more will come more, more will come. I love yes. that as a statement. That's, <laughs> before Chris is like, I've just got all these projects I need to do. Brilliant. Well, thank yeah. you guys so much. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, my final, final question is always, where can we find your work? Where can we get into the odds? And where can we follow you? If you've got social media you want to put out, or even if you're like, don't follow me, I've got loads of stuff on and I don't you need to know it. Um, any recommendations, whether they're gaming related or not? So just... What, whatever you feel like
1: <laughs> into the odd uh, remastered is currently going out to kickstarter backers now um it, various parts of the world are in various stages of distribution but when when they're all done it'll go for general sale through free league so if you watch uh the there's an into the odd page on the free league site if you watch there um you'll be able to see when that's available it hopefully won't be too long now mm-hmm. um in terms of keeping up to date with what i'm doing all my links are at bastionand.com where i do a blog i do Videos and occasional podcasts, and there is a Discord server, which is the best place if you want to sort of actually ask me anything. And my recommendation, I should say, because um, I keep harping on people about this, but I'm going to keep on harping louder, is um, <laughs> I, I wish everyone would write more blogs um, and uh, and link to people's blogs. So if you've got any good blog recommendations, uh, link them to me, and you can look at the blogs that are linked on my sidebar to find uh, some interesting things people have written.
2: First of all, you can find anything with you related to Merkborg at like we're on Mörkborg on pretty much every social media. Uh, we also have a, a quite active Discord channel that I recommend that you join. There's a lot of good stuff there. And I'm also like doing posting my own art and stuff on Instagram. I'm called Art by Noor, N-O-H-R, and I'm on Twitter as well with my name, Johan Noor. So that's basically it i'm 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 way i'm way too active on all those places so
0: (laughs) when you should be creating i should be creating oh no
2: (laughs) you don't know how many times i've told myself exactly that
0: (laughs) oh it's it's when your phone tells you you've spent this amount of time on instagram you're like oh how dare you 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 cheated on me how how dare you tell me exactly it's been two hours a day well anyway thank you guys so much i appreciate it I'm hoping to do more of these special Q&A bonus episodes in future, including Q&As on the one-shots we've run here at What Am I Rolling? If you have a question or think of an RPG designer you would like to see interviewed on this podcast, let us know. Our email address is whatamyrollingpodcast at gmail.com. And that's it. Great. See you next time.